Hello, everybody. Good evening. Uh, welcome to Artist Space Books and Talks. Thank you all for coming this evening. Uh, so tonight's event is the second in a regular series that we've organized with the art historian Bettina Funk under the title Artist Space Dialogues. Uh, this series was conceived uh, after a very productive conversation uh, between Bettina and filmmaker Laura Poitras in January last year as part of Laura's exhibition at Artist Space. The first dialogue of this new season was held last month with Douglas Crimp, and the third in this series will take place on April the 13th with artist John Knight. Uh, each event in the series is dedicated to an influential figure in the field of contemporary art and visual culture, uh, investigating their work and thinking, their histories, trajectories, and processes. So we're really pleased tonight to uh, welcome the artist Sarah Morris, whose extensive body of films and paintings produced since the late 1990s have together created a new language of place and politics. Writing on Sarah's work, Bettina has stated, she wants to be both author, author and protagonist. And to her, that means using compromised personalities and places as portals into entanglements of power, generating a sense of dizzying simultaneity that she translates into motives and resources for her paintings and a flow of images for her films, all of which add up to topologies of a moment in the life of power and style. The conversation between Bettina and Sarah tonight will take place under the title Maneuvering Systems, the Artist and the Protagonist. So Sarah Morris has had recent solo exhibitions internationally, including at M Museum in Leuven, Kunsthalle Bremen in Bremen, Wexner Center for the Arts in Columbus, Ohio, and the Museum for Moderna Kunst in Frankfurt. And her latest publication, Creasefolds, uh, has just been released recently, and we have copies available in the bookstore. Uh, and Bettina um, is art, an art historian, writer, and editor. She's author of Pop or Populist, Art Between High and Low, published in 2009. She leads seminars on contemporary art at, in, in the Critical Theory and the Arts Master's Program at the School of Visual Arts, and was the head of publications for Documenta 13, producing a range of publications that included a notable series, 100 Notes, 100 Thoughts. So without further ado, I'll hand over to Bettina. Thank you. Thank you, Richard, and thank you, Sarah, for coming. Um, in this series, I always like to talk about beginnings, um, not in a nostalgic way, but just as a moment where a lot of things up in the air that continue appearing and determining or influencing the work of the years to follow. So I wanted to start, Sarah, by um, speaking about where you studied, actually. Um, you didn't go to an art school, but you went to Brown University mm -hmm. and studied in the Modern Culture and Media Department. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about I th what? I think it was called Semiotics when I was there. But semiotics, it, cha oh. it changed while I was there. Uh -huh. It changed the title. Um, but uh, they, if, if they emphasize, it's, it, it, was a, it was a very different program from any other program offered at the time and it, emphasize studying the history of the history of film, the history of like uh, critical theory. Seth knows this because I think he was in the same program and so is Taryn Simon. Um, it, uh, it really 
it emphasized the production of film if it emphasized anything, but it was not, it wasn't really production based. It was really uh, philosophy and the history of, of cultural theory. And um, there was a sort of definite uh, emphasis on perhaps even maybe not making things, you know? So it was a very odd program to be in. There were a number of people who were there before me, like years before me, like Todd Haynes and Christine Vachon. So there was an emphasis like on actually going into commercial filmmaking. And there was, this, there was a whole flirt with Hollywood in that department too, sort of a love-hate relation. Critical theory flirts with Hollywood. <laughs> and what film, film history did you study? Um, Well, I didn't really study film history. I sort of avoided that. Um, I studied political philosophy. Um, mm -hmm. I sort of made my own program. Um, so I didn't really study, per se, in the semiotics department the way a lot of other people did. But all of my friends did. So I was aware of what they were reading. I read some of what they were reading. There were a lot of films shown. And there was a lot of making of film. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really make any films while I was at Brown. I uh, only, I mean, I helped other people make films and I was into films, uh, which is sort of funny. Uh, I'm sure they're around somewhere. Um, but yeah, I didn't start making films until I came to New York. And you came to New York the year after to go to the Whitney Study Program in well, 1990? Is that when you already started filming or? No, no. I went to the Whitney program like straight from Brown mm -hmm. and actually I had not made any work, like no work, uh, which was very unusual to be at the Whitney program with like no work made. Um, I didn't have any slides. What I did do while I was at Brown is I published like a manifesto and that sort of made its way to Hal Foster who invited me to be in the Whitney program. But I hadn't, I hadn't made any work at that point, like nothing. I had just read. And was it already separated, the Whitney study program, into studio or critical writing? Or mm, there wasn't really much of a division between that. There's like 20, uh -huh. 20 people, uh -huh. something like that. Rick Ritt was there the year before, and uh -huh. Gavin. So there was already like a, there was a whole scene around it. And it was, it was quite good to be in. But what, For me, there was a problem of being in, in that program just because it was very, it was, for me, it was too didactic after everything that I had already consumed. I had consumed so much reading that I was like, I, I almost felt like I had to like dislearn it. You know, I was, uh, I didn't really want to be reading anymore or definitely not reading any uh, theory or philosophy. I was more interested in fiction at the time. Uh, so it was, it was hard to be in that program at that moment for me. And how did you come about to pick up a brush and start painting or pick up, well, did when you, you pick see up a this camera learning first? thing, I was thinking of like, I did this strange class, uh, when I was in high school about how to read fast. And I was thinking about this the other day, talking to somebody and I was thinking about, I, I took this class, it was at night. And it was about how to read like, you know, I don't know, 500, 500 pages in like an hour or whatever it was. And I read it, I was reading and, and trying to pick up this sort of technique of like speed reading. 
and I realized it was, uh, it, was, it was a bit of a fiction, but I could sort of about do it. But I actually think that that class that I took on uh, speed reading mm -hmm. <laughs> is actually like not so dissimilar to the way the films are and the way I'm thinking about making work, of like consuming things very fast and how to streamline uh, vision constantly. That's, uh, you know, there's a, there's a, a adrenaline and speed uh, that is happening constantly uh, for me that I think that, that I was playing with that. Sort of similar when we were talking about like that scene of sort of producing propaganda in uh, Clockwork Orange. Mm -hmm. You know, where there's that scene where they're trying to correct him, you know, and they're showing him images very fast, like yeah. on a repeated thing, and it's extremely painful. That was like that reading course I took. So then it's like a brutal halt to make paintings with like one large word on them. You're, well, painting the is really I slow. I mean, obviously, like there's this strange thing in my work in general between this like, it's almost like this ping pong constantly going on between things really, really slow and extremely meticulous and things that are highly, highly improvised and very, very fast. So for instance, like the economy and production of film, obviously, you know, there's a lot of planning, there's a lot of research, there's a lot of discussions, there's a lot of conversations, there's endless sort of phone time that goes on, which is really fun, talking about ideas and, and, and meeting people. Uh, it's a, you know, sort of a desire to be involved with people and having discussions. Uh, and then you sort of juxtapose that against sort of the world of making paintings, which are extremely slow, meticulous. They involve a lot of math. Uh, um, there's a lot of planning to them. And there's like a system, and you can't rush it. So in the space of the paintings, which is very, very slow, there is this other thing that's like dependent on it, which is the films, which happens. Like if I made another type of painting, I would never be able to make these two bodies of work at the same time. Mm -hmm. They're I, sort of codependent. Uh -huh. um, before we go more deeply yeah. into that relationship of films and paintings, I wanted to uh, stay one more moment in like the early 90s. I'm curious what you did between the Whitney Study Program in 1998 when you make Midtown, your first film, I mean film work that, that the public knows. Um, that's, you can see well, a part of it on your website. It's um, about 60 minutes long, shot on 60 wait, millimeter. what's 60 minutes? 16. Oh, yeah, 16. No, 16 minutes long, shot in Midtown. Mm -hmm. um, and For me, that's the film where you find your voice, both in the painting and in the film, mm -hmm. where the paintings that you did before of um, surfaces, grids, like repetitive patterns, zooming in on high heels or this flatness, like suddenly like gets, you know, it moves into motion and then mm -hmm. somehow the paintings pick up what I see in the film. So your question is, what was I doing before that? And also, how, what happened, like, how did you, how did, yeah, what did you do before? All I know is one of the things you did, you were an assistant for Jeff Koons. Uh -huh. And I know the word paintings, some of them, yeah. saying large, sorry, or Jesus works, or, you know, short things like that. 
Well, I, I mean, I, I, I moved to New York. I was immediately in the Whitney program, and I was immediately working for Jeff. Uh, and he didn't have a studio at the time. So it was a very deliberate sort of, I mean, literally, I, I moved to New York, and I was doing immediately those two things, like within a couple of weeks. And that was a very planned thing. That wasn't by happenstance. It was like an orchestrated uh, sort of maneuver. And uh, uh, I guess, you know, I was helping Jeff do the Made in Heaven series. Uh, it goes well with the Whitney study program. Yeah. So there was this, like, there was a dichotomy right from the beginning between these two sort of polar extremes of... Uh, activity, um, and I suppose that didn't like, in, you know, it didn't make me a lot of friends at the Whitney program, but um, it was interesting because it, it was like, at that time, uh, Jeff was really producing in Europe and he was there mostly, so it was a perfect sort of job. And it was very interesting also, the whole appropriation uh, that was going on at the time, what he was involved with. Um, and it, you know, it, it definitely, this idea of, um, placing oneself uh, in the center, yeah? So, I mean, my first studio was in Times Square on 42nd Street. You mentioned those paintings that I first started. I mean, I really had to teach myself, because I did not know how to paint. I had, I had to teach myself how, uh, you know, going back to that reading class, it was like I had to sort of teach myself how to uh, construct this sort of, like, lit litany or pile up of images or I mean I wanted to create this like um, like a, a self-splintering set of images that don't resolve yeah that they don't fix on one thing they're like a chain mm -hmm. um, so this idea of the fragment or this sort of like spider plant approach to making work in a way like this constant like uh, shooting off of one thing and then and going on to the next was something that I was aware of and I was trying to uh, figure out how to paint. I wanted to have, have it, I, I was looking for something that was extremely two-dimensional. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I wanted to do. I was like very set on that and it took me a long time to do it, so I was, bizarrely. And um, uh, I was, so I was making a lot of work and sort of destroying it and just sort of playing around with I mean, I did shoot film. I did shoot a few things before Midtown, that just haven't been shown. And you edited them, or you just sort of, uh -huh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> edited them in camera, uh -huh. yeah, sort of, yeah. But Midtown was the first uh, piece that I I had been thinking about making a piece that uh, was sort of like a condensed also like a manifesto of, of how I wanted to function and how I wanted to work. And there was a show at the Ludwig Museum that I was asked to be in, and they asked to, you know, to have uh, several paintings. I was already working on the Midtown series of paintings, and I had an idea to, to make this very short, brief uh, sort of uh, chain of like these coordinates. Actually, it's not it's not dissimilar to the paintings in the mm -hmm. sense that like they're both. You can look at the paintings and the films as like a series of coordinates of places I want to be or places where one can situate oneself. And uh, so with Midtown, I hired a crew to go out with me for a day and shoot all day. And I had very specific places 
in the city that I wanted to, to be, whether it was Chase Bank or, you know, I mean, it was a little bit like a game of Monopoly, to, to be honest. It was like there was a sort of acquisition. So you wanted to own this real estate? Yeah, well, I, I, see, I see real estate as something that is easily uh, acquired, not necessarily with money, but I think it's like, I sort of think that all space is public space. I think all space can be immediately shifted very quickly, that I, I don't think power is actually a, a, any type of fixed thing. I think you can take it over. Uh, and I think actually in 2008, I think that was pretty obvious that, that things can change very, very fast. So I was interested in using Manhattan, yeah, like using this space for my own purposes. And that's sort of what I tried to do with that film. And you said you were painting the Midtown paintings before you shot the film? Yeah, it was all like, it was it was all all, it's all the at same the same time. Process. I can't really remember what comes first, but it's like there's always, uh, with the work, there's always paintings going on and there's always films going on. It, there's no linear anything, you know? It's like there's just everything going on at the same time. And, uh, you know, like at any moment, like right now, I'm trying to think, uh, there might be two or three films in pre-production, and then maybe we're we're about I'm about to edit a film like at the end of the month. So there's and, and then I'm working on paintings, I'm working on a wall painting. So there's always like a lot of different things going on at the same time. So it's sort of hard to remember. So is that usual that you're working on three or common that you're working on three films at the same time? No, what I say is like it, it not necessarily it, production. Uh -huh. like, there's but, a film that's like now in post-production mm -hmm. in the studio that I'm like I have to do, deal with, which I'm still dealing with legal stuff with that. And then, and then there's like several films that are in pre-production that are just ideas that I'm trying to sort of, you know, get so going. It's research and uh, it's building, more than research. Yeah. Building contacts yeah. and access mm -hmm. and. Uh -huh. Mm -hmm. So you're saying... Uh, so it's more schizophrenic than, like, did you make a painting? And, like, you know, oh, the, yeah. the, the, this sort of linear uh, approach to producing. It's like there's a lot always happening at the same time. It's quite difficult to know what comes first. I think, though, with the Ludwig show, I was... I, the paintings were already... I mean, it was definitely, like, the series was already happening. And then, yeah. I, and then they invited me, and I said this idea, and then they... I asked them for some money, and they came up with the money, and then I shot the film. I mean, looking at a film with a group of paintings attached to the film, that makes total sense. That you can, you're just, you're like deeply thinking about something, and it, the, what comes first is suddenly not really a relevant question anymore. I'm thinking about the what you said about fragment and repetition, um, and the coordinates. I mean, they're like sort of a compositional elements, fragment and repetition, both in the paintings and the films. And then when you put in the vector, maybe it starts all to move, mm -hmm. both in the paintings and in the film, especially with speed reading, taking in this vision. I like repetition. You like repetition? I like repetition, yeah. yeah and I like repetition in the sense of like, if I look at the films, like all of the films have like, certain tropes that come into the films that maybe are different, but they're the same, like whether it's cars, for instance. Like you could sort of subdivide the films by different categories of people and things. Uh -huh. I mean, there's a lot of things that are characters in the films. 
So, like, uh, you know, objects. This, yeah. Now yeah. we're like already wandering yeah. into like the title because yeah. we have topologies, things, personalities, places, architecture, architecture, and then the question of the protagonist in the film in particular. Architecture in the is more of an excuse, though. <laughs> I had first suggested to you uh, to title this talk um, Films Without Protagonists, and you um, disagreed. And I think it was an interesting disagreement. On the one hand, you can say, well, there are so many protagonists, we don't even know where to start. And I thought of a protagonist more as like, a, you know, like the leading figure, like the leading person guiding us through a narrative. And, and then you said, well, I'm really the protagonist. Well, there's not a singular protagonist in the sense of like one voice. I mean, what, what, when I am editing and I see the sort of, again, this sort of pile up or litany of like situations. There's a lot of situations in the films. It's like, I don't know, I wouldn't even sit down and count them, but I think we have had somebody in the studio sit down and count them at one point just for fun. <laughs> but it's like, you know, it's like over 150, 200 situations maybe going on in a single film. So it, it would be easy to say there's no singular, uh, there's no singular uh, voice or singular focus. It's constantly flickering between macro and micro and, and male and female and, uh, you know, this sort of movement through a space, you know, like it's a cutting through, like a horizontal cut through a place. And so sort of everything is exposed, yeah. To follow all the flows that come together in but you could take that as a very automated, you could take it, I mean, people have viewing it as like a very machine-like automated, like a lawnmower or something, like some sort of like machine that's sort of like devouring or consuming all of these things. But you know, at the end of the day, it's just me. So, I mean, I do think of it as like a protagonist in the, that sense. It's like consuming, cons consumption. Oh, yeah, I never thought of it as machinistic somehow. Really? Yeah. I've read that a couple times. I, I feel there's too much intention yeah. for it to be a machine. I guess that would be no, an argument. No, but just the consumption, <laughs> the amount of like desire and like fantasy that's going on with like the situations and how many situations and how uh, sometimes the films are flirting with an industry, you know, whether it's like the fashion industry or whether it's like a bottling plant of Coca-Cola and they're making all of the syrups or um, I'm trying to think what else, beer uh, or cars. I mean, there's a lot of different sites of production also in the films. Yeah, and repetitive sites. And again, those are very anyway. repetitive. Like, I find that very, like uh, yeah, it's really beautiful. It's, yeah, it's beautiful. It's also, it's almost like there you can hold on to a language. If you see several of your films, then, you know, like shoes, or the production of mass production of there's also an underwear factory bottled <laughs> products um, architecture you can see a lot of things but usually it starts with you choosing a place right or uh, or like a site well yeah rather. I mean there's like I mean that starts with that yes and usually it's linked to the place that preceded it before so for instance when I was shooting Los Angeles and I was making a film about film and a film about this sort of aspirational alienation that goes on, like sort of almost like the ego as corporation. Mm -hmm. It's like I was dealing with all of these egos and it was really, it was like, 
I found it, I mean, I often put myself in very repulsive situations with yeah. the work, often, Clearly. often. Yeah, and it's like, it's really unbearable. It's like really torture while I'm in those situations. People oftentimes, sometimes think, oh, like I'm having a really great time uh, doing these things, but it's often the opposite of that. But when I was making the Los Angeles film, for instance, and I was thinking a lot about this issue of control and ego and the whole issue of celebrity, for instance, I was immediately already onto the next film. Like, as I was shooting and finishing the Los Angeles film, I already knew I was, like, going to do something in China. Because I was like, I'm going to, like, I'm going to, I mean, this sounds sort of extreme, but I wanted to, like, go to this idea of, like, the nation state. Like, I just wanted to sort of, like, just as corporation or... Or just as, like, just identity. As identity. Like, identity as nation, as opposed to, like, the ego. And so I was already thinking of, of, of making a film in China as I was finishing that other film. So there's usually like a path, a pathway that connects from one piece or one body of work to the next body of work. So tell me a little bit more, I, I can't entirely follow. So the identity of a nation, it's also the Olympics, the host country, Switzerland as well. Well, I was thinking about like, for instance, when you're in Los Angeles, like just to give you an example, going mm -hmm. back to that film, mm -hmm. And, and I was dealing with this sort of like, I shot this film in Los Angeles during the time of the Academy Awards and I got the, 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 one of the head people in the Academy Awards to let me shoot whatever I wanted in the pre-production of that event, right? So, and then we used Los Angeles as sort of like a tableau of, of this sort of aspiration, you know, this like state of almost like, almost like a future state of like, trying to project oneself into the future. Like you can never say no in Los Angeles because everything's about this sort of future moment. Like you don't want to build, you don't want to burn a bridge. You don't want to like end a project. You keep all of the balls up in the air all the time, right? So I was like sort of dealing with that and I was having trouble because a lot of people who I asked to be in the film, for instance, wanted control. Mm -hmm. Right, either makeup control, lighting control, you know, like, I don't know, just like, what is, where's the script? There is no script. My image. There is no script, there is no control mm -hmm. with my film. Like, if you're, you know, there's literally, you're just one of a series of, of people. So obviously this is like not exactly the best way to get people to, you know, to participate. So some people, for instance, like Faye Dunaway, who I was talking to for a long time, Like, I had to get her in a mediated moment mm -hmm. because, like, she wouldn't participate in a singular moment where it was just her. Mm -hmm. But, for instance, Brad Pitt, he would allow himself to be degraded in a singular moment and not in a mediated moment, as in, like, walking down a red carpet or in a place with, like, a mass of people. Mm -hmm. So there were these different sort of personalities that were, like, more or less controlling. And so I had to sort of navigate that. Um, but I think going, when, I, when I'm talking about this, I'm starting to think about like the idea of failure. You know, I think, I think that failure is, a, is a, definitely a theme in the work. You know, when I see the Los Angeles film, I just sort of think about failure. Like all the things that didn't work out that no, you no, wanted no, no, to... No, 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 no. Not my failure. The, fa the failure. You mean like the... No, oh, not you mean my like failure. You're showing, failure, you're showing like failure. Failure in social failure. Social failure. failure. Suppressive yeah, like I think situations. about that when I think about Beijing, too. I think about that when I think about Strange Magic. 
even though there's like, you know, there's things in there that of course are very seductive and very beautiful and like definitely like get you in. I also think about failure a lot in the, in, as, a, as a way to work, as a subject. So the desire to be drawn in and then basically uh, fail and <laughs> drop and then um, let everyone hang there with a failed well, situation. There's a state of constant suspension in the films. You know, there's no, I mean, like with the paintings, in the films there's no resolution. Mm -hmm. It's like this constant sort of like state, right? There's no, there is no resolution. There's no denouement. There's no, there's no exposed moment. There's no conclusion, right? It just sort of goes on and on and on. This sort of consumption and this pathway, which is like this cut, yeah? Right, so, and your films are circular. They're not linear. You don't need to see them from the beginning. At least I always feel like you can I mean, usually helps. enter. It helps, but, but but I'm talking about failure as like, as a social construct, you know? I'm not talking about like, uh, as a formal thing within the piece. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about as, as you know, what, is it, what does it mean for like, there to be an organization like the IOC that occupies a nation and makes them sign a contract and like, does Do you wanna fill us in quickly? IOC based in Switzerland, who, who are they? Well, IOC is the International Olympic Committee, and those are the people who had to say yes for me to film where I wanted to film mm -hmm. uh, in one of the scenes. I mean, it's just one scene. It's like, it's the moment of the spectacle. So it's like, um, you know, it's Jacques Herzog and, and Demeron's Bird's Nest. I wanted to film there on August 8th, 2008 at 8 p.m. That's just one moment in the film, but I wanted to do that. And so they, you know, they said no many, many times because you know, they normally sell that right for like $90 million or whatever. So it was like a whole thing to try to get them to say yes. Mm -hmm. And in the end, they did say yes. Uh, and there was a whole sort of dance around that. But you know, there's a certain type of positioning of where I want the camera to be and then at the same time, in the same film, there's also the ignoring of that moment. So there's many moments in the Beijing film which are about the ignoring of that moment, August 8th, 2008, 8 p.m. So that's what I'm talking about, the failure. So ignoring by you put ignoring, yourself like into you that ignore, place, but you, you don't film have to watch TV. the other direction. You don't have to watch the event. Like you can actually just like turn it off. Maybe you do something else. So you told me this is um, that the, the places you want to go, go to that the films take place at where you shoot is basically your personal wish list of places you want to be. Not not that it's complete, which is interesting after you just described how highly uncomfortable and difficult it is I mean, to be I in hate, these places. I really do hate stadiums. And then you ignore them. <laughs> you go there and put the camera to think, the side. I think Dan Graham and I have. <laughs> that in common about hating stadiums. Uh -huh. I do hate stadiums. I do hate being in sort of mass situations. Uh -huh. but, but actually, when I think about how, how the work um, sort of, how the work functions, this sort of overload of, mm -hmm. of imagery, both paintings and, and film, I think that there is this sort of element of, of, of uh, repetition and uh, sort of like, 
an adrenaline that, that yeah. carries the work that is sometimes a bit too much. It's the speed reading of the oppressive that looks very beautiful. But, but, but I mean, that's what I'm deliberately trying to do. So uh, at times, like structurally or spatially, that would be very difficult for me to like deal with maneuvering in that system, whatever, you know. I mean, I'm just talking, I happen to be talking about a, the stadium, but it might be equally as abhorrent to be dealing with like an ego in Los Angeles or, uh, or somebody who owns a perfume company. Which brings us to Strange Magic, your most recent film that you made in Paris for the opening. It was the first one that was commissioned by a museum, right? And you made it for well, the- Well, it's not really the first, it's, it's not the first time a museum, I guess maybe it's the first time the museum bought a work where it was commissioned like that. I mean, there's been other times where museums have said, if you, you know, we've heard you're making this and we'll give you, we'll buy the first edition or whatever. And so there's a circularity there. But this was like, we want to buy, we want to buy whatever you want to make for this piece. And then I said, I want to make it about the museum itself. And then they said, what do you mean? <laughs> and then I said about the flow of like how this museum is actually physically coming together in terms of like what, it, you know, what is this conglomeration of like different products and things that's going into this structure. I was really interested by Frank Gehry too. And I was interested in the positioning of the museum in the Bois de Boulogne, mm -hmm. uh, which is sort of a medieval place of business. And um, so that's sort of how, it, how, how that started. The Bois de Boulogne is a park, not a, what do you mean by medieval? Well, I just mean it's like, business. it's the site of prostitution. So it's like uh -huh. medieval, oh, it's medieval, like space, uh -huh. it's like park becomes like sort of a commercial space. Oh, I didn't yeah. even know. I, I, was not local enough to know oh, that. Really? So yeah. when I saw so the it's, it's prostitutes, famous in Paris. Uh, yeah, so it's yeah. right next to the museum, basically. It's the museum is in the Bois de Boulogne. Yeah. 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 So it's the first film you don't name by a place or mm -hmm. so, but you call it Strange Magic. That's not true. I did a film, Robert Town. Oh, Robert Town. Well, which is with 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 this with the scriptwriter Robert Town, who wrote mm -hmm. Chinatown. So mm -hmm. that's about a, a, a Chinatown is like code for a mental space, mm -hmm. um, and I also did 1972 oh, with right. George Sieber, which was the man who uh, he was a psychologist and a choreographer who was in charge of the 1972 Olympics, and that film I made while I was actually dealing with my own failure <laughs> of. Uh, um, I really thought I wouldn't be able to make Beijing. I did not think, I, I had to get this one shot for the rest of the film to work and I didn't think I would be able to get the IOC to say yes to me being where I wanted to be. The uh, stadium in shot? In the stadium, uh -huh. yeah, but I wanted full access to everything in the stadium. I wanted to be able to move wherever I wanted to move in the stadium. And they, you know, they said no like four or five times. So I was dealing with that and then while I was dealing with that, I, st I think I was invited 
by the newspaper Süddeutsche Zeitung, mm -hmm. to if I said that right, um, to think about doing a project for them. And so I went over to Munich and I had dinner with this guy, Dr. George Sieber, who was like in charge of the Olympics in 72 and then like walked out on that Saturday, you know, Black September. And uh, I began to sort of think like, actually this is sort of interesting, this chain of dates, chain of times, you know, how is 1972 linked to 2008, linked to 1936, linked mm -hmm. to, you know, like this sort of weaving of cities and weaving of place mm -hmm. and weaving of um, uh, this event, yeah, and how this event takes over and also thinking about nationalism and, and the failure of that concept, yeah? And, um, and so that I made that film. But yeah, no, they're not always named by cities. But still named, most like a date or a name of the person you speak to, Strange Magic, mm -hmm. is the first one where this, it's, it is strange, like how did you get to the title? It felt different from the other ones. It's not a, a person, a place, or a date. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know how I would answer that. I mean, hmm. Without... It, it wasn't a conscious decision to find a different title? I think it was like, uh, it, was a, it, was, it was the result of a series of very fascinating events that 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 sort of conspired to like mm -hmm. make that film and uh, you know I, sh I was shooting over like a period of like maybe two years maybe even longer I don't know the contract thing went on forever so I feel like that project took five years but it probably was less than that but um, uh, I think there was something like uh, there was an element of, of being inside I felt like I was inside of a product. I felt like I was inside of like a music box or inside of a perfume bottle. I felt contained. And so I was thinking, I, you know, I was just thinking about different titles and, and, and wanted to come up with, with uh, some sort of like perhaps title for this feeling. So you were contained. Like a product. Maybe for the first time in this way that you're describing because you're making a work about the world that surrounds what you do. Is that, is that maybe why? Making a what? You made a work for the first time about, well, about a museum or about the... It's not really about a museum. It's really about, I mean, of course, on the one hand, it is about this sort of, uh, I don't know, is this being broadcast? <laughs> um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously on one level, it is about the museum and it is about Frank Gehry. Yeah, and on the other level, it is about, you know, uh, these strange alchemical medieval processes that, yeah, that somebody has sort of monopolized, mm -hmm. including me. So, uh, you know, it's about these sort of processes. It's about this sort of like amazing thing. Like, you know, I mean, when you think about, you know, what Arnaud has done, like just with these brands and with these sort of national identity sort of subjects, mm -hmm. 
even even the idea of getting the space inside of the Bois de Boulogne, it's sort of, in, it's, it's really interesting. It's like an interesting progression itself of, of somebody's movement through a country. And of course these things are not, you can't really patent most of this. You can patent a machine, but you can't really patent the idea of perfume. You can't patent, the, I mean, dis, distillation is like, you know, this is a medieval process you know, so, I mean, there were a lot of elements in the film that were uh, like this sort of alchemical, but capitalistic. And capitalistic, maybe. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so the music box you found yourself in. Mm -hmm. I'm still thinking about Strange Magic as a different title from other films, this feeling of being inside. It's also a really great ELO song. <laughs> Something happened in the speed reading <laughs> when you got so close to, you got close to something that's close to you, I, I feel like. Well, I like this, I do like this idea of like simplifying and streamlining, making like a code, mm -hmm. like a, I mean, I think speed reading sort of fails, honestly, because it's like you don't have any pleasure of like the consumption, the act of consuming the words. But I mean, the idea of being able to choose only the important words, yeah, only the important nomenclature, I think that's sort of interesting. If you applied that to a visual model, yeah. It's remembering speed reading, where you remember what was important and what washed over me. Yeah, but I mean, if you apply that same methodology to like viewing images or this like, again, this sort of process of like a pileup or a litany or making sort of propaganda, I've mm -hmm. talked to you about that before of like, what would it look like if you made propaganda? Only your work does not look like propaganda. <laughs> well, propaganda for itself, perhaps. Like, I mean, every artist ends up making propaganda for oneself on some level, too. I mean, you can play with social... Why you don't want to paint yourself into a corner? <laughs> you don't want things to be too tied up. You want no. them to be open. I mean, with all the repetition and the fragment. Well, I think the work is like, uh, you know, if anything, it suffers from that being too open. You know, I think there's a lot of different readings one can have, and, I, and I, I liked that. That was also a very deliberate decision to have it that way. So would you say propaganda can be an open sign? I Not thought of it as a more no. closed identity. Well, obviously propaganda is like for a specific end. So, but, but the idea of propaganda can be used in any, you can, you know, you can, you, you could use a blender for propaganda. I mean, like you could, you could <laughs> use anything for propaganda. It doesn't necessarily have to be like a flag. So another part of the title is the artist, maneuvering systems, the artist and the protagonist. And I, I was wondering when you worked with Jeff Koons early on, 1990, and he didn't have a studio, he was mainly in Europe it's like, what do artists do? Or what do assistants of artists do? What's yeah. the role of the artist? And I feel like very early on, you tapped into something that still informs your work. 
I mean, you have a studio, you have a painting practice in the studio, I guess he does now too. But the idea of um, researching sites, organizing people to come together, organizing photo shoots, film shoots, it, and he taught you never to take no as an answer. This seems to be deeply what your work is made of. Well, I mean, I, I suppose also the reason why I thought it would be interesting to work for him while I was in the Whitney program was because of like that play of, of not only the polarity between the Whitney program and him, which was, that was sort of interesting, but that was like a sort of, that just was a coincidence of timing. It was more just this idea of like, what does it mean to place, I, I liked this idea of what does it mean to place yourself in another structure or, you know, I, you could do this with many, I mean, it doesn't have to be, I mean, in that case, for instance, that was like pornography, but it could be architecture, it could be industrial design, it could be music, it could be the law, it could be, did I say politics already? The no. Politics, like, so I made the film mm -hmm. Capital, mm -hmm. where I went and, you know, did this film in the last days when Clinton was running Washington, and I was already making a series of paintings uh, using titles, yeah, I mean, they're not depictions of places, they're just the use of titles of existing sort of institutions, past and present. And um, I think there's, there's something there about uh, perhaps choosing um, to be in the middle, yeah? Not on the edge, or not on the side, or not marginal, but like in the middle. Like that was, that was something that it didn't just form, I decided that, like, you know, I feel like that was something I decided before I moved to New York. That position. That came from studying at Brown, or it just came from I don't know, I mean, just, just all of the interests that I had. Like, I never really saw, I wasn't really interested in these, I, I was never really interested in the boundaries between those subjects. I saw them all as, like, very interlinked, yeah. That, that you know, why, why would art be separate from entertainment, legal, you know, politics, architecture, that actually, that these things are, have more in common than, and per perhaps like one could not just use them as like subject matter for work, but actually like use their strategies in those things. Like, so if architecture uses distraction all mm -hmm. the time, or if you think about like Las Vegas, if you think about light, for example, as distraction, mm -hmm. then maybe light, there's, maybe there's something in that that you could use in one's work. So like, that's sort of more of the approach that, that I was interested in. Ah, so more learning from the strategies and being in the middle of the contradictions. Yeah, but also that like, I don't really think that any of these feel, like I can't really discern the difference between like architecture and entertainment. Or I can't really discern the difference between politics and like, you know, th these things that I'm not really interested in the boundaries between those things. It's like, it's more the commonalities be between those spheres that interest me that I would be like fascinated by. Mm -hmm. And so obviously I would gravitate to anybody who does that too.
Um, you're so um, convincing, actually, that sometimes one can forget how particular the position is as an artist to be the protagonist, the director of films, the one who negotiates herself into the stadium well, I just, the opening I, I mean, ceremony Honestly, you, ha you have to do what sort of interests you or amuses you. So, I mean, I just sort of view it as like, I'm trying to entertain myself and keep myself <laughs> occupied and engaged. And so the way I do that is by, you know, is, is trying to create this sort of uh, pros process of, of, you know, not being isolated. And can we talk about the paintings a little mm -hmm. more? Because with the films, it seems to make so much sense what you're describing. And the paintings are so, maybe they're the other side of the coin, where you also just need like a quiet, consistent, slow practice, I like that. thinking space. Well, I mean, they're planned. I imagine you plan them on the computer without mm -hmm. the same me, surprises or like challenges you would encounter by planning a film. Mm -hmm. Well, they're very different. They have very different, as I said, they have very, very different like production values. Yeah, I mean, economically and in terms of time, very different speeds. And I think it's that difference of speed that like interests me. But yeah, the paintings are ve much. They're very slow and they're very open. Yeah, and so. I quite like that because it just sort of like slows everything down and sort of has this uh, element where it allows a lot of other readings and activities to happen around them. That openness, can you describe it a little more? You mean in the making or in the Well, yeah, openness in the, world? Se in the sense of, yeah, perhaps not, there, it's not that open in the making. Yeah, They're very, that's what I was very specific. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I do think of them as like, almost like, retinal after images, yeah, from an experience. Mm -hmm. So uh, they're very, you know, it's like a very specific thing to construct them. They're very like, um, they are very slow and they are very meticulous and they sort of, they, they insist on a very particular type of systemic approach and I sort of enjoy that and there, it's not that dissimilar to the way the films are constructed not what happens in the films but the idea of choosing the spots choosing the points and letting the action play out mm -hmm. in those spots do you see what I'm saying? yeah yeah so you think of them as more open as works when they're well I think they're in the reception you mean or yeah I do think so I do think so, but I similarly think so for the films because I think that you, you read, in terms of the fragment, in terms of a fragmented narrative, I think you, you project onto that what, what you will. Yeah, I always thought of the films as more open, but it may just be that I spent more time with the films naturally because they take the minutes that they take to be seen. Um, and maybe the openness for me happens in the dialogue between the paintings and the film, in these very different ways of making work, but at the same time, a clear connection of motif or motif elements. Um, 
I'm still thinking about Midtown as your first public film, your first mm -hmm. film work, and then Strange Music, and almost like 18 years passed, almost 20 years, and I feel like there's a simplicity, <clears throat> maybe just, you know, of course your age, but also where, where history is at that point, um, cultural history, political history, there's a, more of a, a simpler or more clear view of the connection of everything the commercial and the social space and the people flowing through it and the facades, you know, modernism, how it's like now enveloped in our contemporary times. Well, there's a circularity to that film maybe that you're describing. In fact, I think it's like deliberately it's such in, 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 in the film where you're, you're at several sort of almost like coordinates or pulse spots in the city. Yeah. And it's like you're observing these moments and it, there's a certain movement that happens by this observation. But so much happened the la these last 20 years, especially to the world around art, of the, all the entanglements and how much tighter everything is woven together now. And I feel like you are one of the few artists who's from the very beginning in her work been interested in all the connections. <coughs> of commerce, social space, politics, aesthetics, style, fashion. Do you, do you think about that? Like where you came from and where you're now with the work and how much the world that you depict or the sites that you choose have, do you, do you, would you agree that it's become much more complex? And do you struggle with that in the making of the works then or? Well, I probably struggle with that in general, but, uh struggle that with that in the work I think it just sort of becomes part of the work you know I think it is yeah it is it is uh, a sort of constant sort of litany of like um, of how you're gonna like deal with these structures that are impinging on you and that sort of problem and then fighting against it or the lack of control is is something that goes on in the work and Interestingly enough, the paintings are always like, they're like sort of mute and always sort of there. So it's like, actually, it's like, it's quite nice because there's like, there is a lot of, uh, there's a lot of contradiction between those two forms going on. So I find it, it's somehow that's okay. Well, and the paintings have always been large format house paint that feel the same as objects, what they're made of. Yeah why the films have changed so much, my, from 60 millimeter films to now you're filming with a digital I see red. the films as sort of the same. Really? They just, yeah, maybe the resolution has changed yeah. slightly. But even the whole color calibration feels very different from the earlier films to me. And mm -hmm. um, you don't think, you, for mm. you it's a con continuation? No, I, I sort of see them as like this sort of walking or movement around a place and this sort of like, almost like a flanner, sort of like moving around and, and sort of this ducking into and sort of stopping and uh, this like perusal of, of space, I think is the, uh, to me it's the same, same activity. But yes, you're right, like, yeah, it's, it's like things have gotten a bit more sped up or a bit more like um, uh, provocative in the sense of, uh, 
what, what it means, what the work means. Like, I mean, it ups it, like, from, like, Los Angeles to Beijing to, like, Strange Magic. There's, like, a sort of upping of the stakes of what, what one's involved with that might be distasteful, perhaps. I think this sounded like a really good closing statement. <laughs> um, I wanted to talk about the role of the artist, but you, and we did so much the whole time, so I think there's no need to say, to summarize it right now.